I know many of you were expecting Michael to be preaching today, so if you're disappointed, I am sorry. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) Others of you were expecting Craig to be preaching, and he is not here. Uh, He he and his family are actually on vacation, and I'm Tim. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Village Church, uh, if I can speak. Um, One more announcement that I want to make sure that we all have is that many of you were Many people were at the uh, Harvest Luncheon a few weeks ago, and our goal is to reach uh, $60,000, to raise $60,000 for the church plant. And a lot of people have asked, you know, so why do we need $60,000? What is that money really going for? Is it going to salary, you know, Pastor Craig? And the answer is no. It's really not to go to his salary. There is a lot of startup costs. There's equipment. There is uh, children's... uh, stuff. There's sound and AV equipment. Um, there's rent on the, uh, the building that we're, we're looking to rent. So that is what that money is really um, for. And right now we're at 32000 Some of you have, you know, you've taken a card or you are thinking about taking a, a pledge card, but you haven't done so yet. We really need those uh, to come in. Maybe you've made a pledge. Maybe you've given some and you, you know, God's been working on your heart. You know what? I could do a little bit better than that. So if, if that is the way God is moving you, we want you to know that we really need that money in ASAP or we need that card in ASAP so we can be planning accordingly, okay? All right, you ready to get started? All right. Well, leave it up to junior high kids. My, my uh, uh, introduction here is about a junior high kid. We have any junior hires here today? All right, yeah, just one that acts like it. Well, there was a group of junior high students that were uh, given a pop quiz by their teacher. And the quiz went very simply like this. All right, students, take out a piece of paper, and we want you to list the seven wonders of the world. And so many of the students quickly started writing things down. And one little girl was having a little trouble. And she was, you know, not as fast as all the rest of them. And the teacher started collecting the papers. And uh, when she collected the papers, most of the students had... uh, these things. Can you list the seven wonders of the world? Uh, the pyramids in Egypt, the Taj Mahal, the Grand Canyon, Panama Canal, the Empire State Building, St. Peter's Basilica, and the Great Wall of China were kind of at the top of the list. But this one little girl, she was still struggling, still struggling, and the teacher came over to find out, you know, hey, honey, what's, what's going on? She said, well, I'm just really having a hard time. There's so many. She said, what do you mean there's so many? What do you have right now? And so the little girl said this. He said, I, I think the seven wonders of the world are to see, to hear, to touch, to taste, to feel, to laugh, and to love. And the same response in that classroom just happened as it did here. It went silent. You know, and what, what we often forget is that there are so many things that we can be thankful for. There are so many things that we can be in awe of that are not made by hands and can't be purchased by money. They are the simple things that we need to be thankful for. And as we think about Thanksgiving coming next week, you know, there's going to be a big meal for most of us, you know, ham or turkey or something like that. We got the holidays coming, you know, after that with Christmas giving, Christmas presents. And those things are great to be thankful for. But how many of us are going to be thankful for what's really important? 
The real things that are important are the people in our life that God has placed there, the things that God has done in our life, you know, this year and what he's looking forward to doing in the years to come in our lives. So today I want to talk about a very simple topic called having joy in our relationships. You know, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Philippians. And if you know anything about Philippians, you know this book's theme is joy. So you can turn in your Bibles uh, as we get ready to go to there. Before I read the text from chapter 1, I want to remind us of some of the things that we need to know about this church and how Paul had interacted with this church on his second missionary journey. He had founded this church on his second missionary journey. So he'd already had one big experience of sharing the gospel, and some of those sharing experiences weren't so uh, joyous. But when he came to Philippi, there was joy there. And of all Paul's letters in the New Testament, this book continues to have a theme that goes running all the way through it about joy and about relationships and about appreciation and some of the things that uh, I'm going to be mentioning here this morning. He, he had been on other missionary journeys after he had founded the, the Philippian church, and this church had financially supported him twice. In two different occasions, they had sent him money to help him further the gospel. And if you know about Paul's first visit to the, uh, to the church at Philippi, you know that he had been beaten with rods after sharing the gospel. He had been thrown in jail. And for Paul, that wasn't anything new. I mean, Paul, if you know about his life, you know that he had experienced many hardships for sharing the gospel. Most of us can't really relate to that. But what we can relate to is the fact that Paul is a human being. We often forget that even though he is the super apostle Paul, he is a human being that has feelings and emotions just like every one of us. And he wrote this book while in prison in Rome. This is one of the prison epistles. And it's natural to, for any of us to realize that if you're, you're by yourself in a prison, you start thinking back about what God has done in your life and the people that God has brought in your life. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. And that's what's going to come out in this first chapter to, to, to this church. He's going to be reliving and, and revisiting. He's going to be rewinding the tape in his mind about what his experience was like when he was with these people at, at the first and what they had done for him after his visit with them. Now, if you know anything about the first visit at, at Philippi, you know that Paul had a, a quite a diverse congregation. There was at least one Asian female merchant. Her name was Lydia and her household. There was at least one Greek slave girl that had been demon-possessed and then been uh, relieved of that demon and come to faith in Christ. There was at least one Philippian jailer in the church with his household, and there were many Roman and Jewish, both Greek and Jewish believers. This church was very diverse. And when you think about the diversion, the, the, the divisions that often can be um, real in our lives and in our relationships, you know, I, I love the fact that God's church, the real church of Jesus Christ, is not homogeneous. It is diverse. It is diverse in a lot of different ways. You know, when you think about this church, you know, we wonder what people might think of this. 
I want to show you what I've discovered uh, from this letter about having joy in our relationships. And despite the differences that we might have, there are things that draw us together. If there's nothing else that you get from this message, I want you to get my main point, which is healthy relationships are vital for the follower of Jesus. They really aren't negotiable. They're not optional. You know, I understand the, the, the idea to some level, on some level, I understand the idea of being a monk. You know, sometimes it would be great just to get away all by yourself up on a mountain some way and just away from people. But that is not what the Christian is called to. And in, in, in the largest extent, I would almost say that is unbiblical for a Christian to pull away for years and years and years out of society, out of culture. We have been placed to be salt and light in a world. We are not to pull away and be, you know, a holy huddle by ourselves. And here's what's also very human. We all go through hardships in life. And all it takes is, you know, just a few conversations with people on a Sunday morning to realize the hurt and the hardship that's in this room. And the reality is, as great as a face it was we put on, you know, when we walk through this, this uh, lobby or in this, in this church building, you know, it looks like we've got our acts together. It looks like that our life is going okay. But all you have to do is just start talking to people a little bit and you find out there is heart and heartache and trials and tribulations that we all share. And here is what I really want to get across. We need each other in those hardship times. We need each other when we're going through difficult times. And if we don't invest in each other now, if we don't invest in each other now when it's uh, when we can smile and hug and laugh each other, at, with each other, or at each other, then when the hardship comes, there's going to be no one there to stand by your bed. There is no one going to be there to hold your hand when your child is you know, hurting. There's going to be no one there that you can call at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, <coughs> my teenage kid was supposed to be home three hours ago, will you pray with me? Because I don't know where they're at. If you don't invest in people now, there will be no one in those times of difficulty. And that's what Paul is talking about in this first chapter. You know, when we think about the Village Church of Bartlett, a lot of people would look at us from the outside, and I wonder what they think about us. And I'm guessing they probably think the same thing about us as they do in most churches. Well, those church people, they're all the same, right? They're all the same. But they don't know maybe even what that means about being the same. Think about the diversity in this room. We come from different social groups. We come from different financial groups. You know, there's a diversity in education here. There's a diversity in occupation. There's a diversity in language. When it comes to preaching, you know, some of you like Michael, some of you like Craig. I doubt many of you will like me. (laughs) just kidding you know we have differences in preferences of music difference in preferences what is entertaining and what is not entertaining there is a variety of diversity in this room but what brings us together what brings the true church of jesus christ together is our common bond in christ that that jesus has come to die so that we could be free that we could have joy 
in our relationship with him. That's what binds us together. And what binds a church together, not just Christians together, but a church together, is to get that message out to those who don't know. You know, the reason that we're a church is not that we have a holy huddle, not that we just uh, can enjoy each other in the salvation that we have in Christ. The reason that God had put the church on the world in this world is so that we can do the Great Commission, that we can go grow and overcome. Go is the first part of our mission. All right, enough preaching. Let's get to the uh, text. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Listen to what Paul thinks. And with that in mind, listen to what he writes. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all. By the way, do you know Paul was a southerner? You know, he says y'all a couple of different times here. Making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in, my, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of, of Christ Jesus, that it, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I wonder, did you see the four ingredients that he was talking about? Because I'm going to point out four ingredients of healthy relationships and the joy that we can have within a joy-filled relationship. If you haven't picked those up, let me see if I can point them out for you. The first ingredient is the practice of affirming. Paul said, I thank my God. He is so thankful for them. And he is so thankful to them. And he says, because of your partnership with me. And then in verse 7, he goes on to say, and you are all, we are all partakers of the common grace of God. He said, Paul made no distinction between the super apostle that he was and the average church member that they were. You know, pride is the first thing that can always destroy a healthy relationship. And it doesn't take long to be around someone that is boastful and loud and proud about who they are and what they've accomplished to kill the joy in that relationship. Humility is the key. Let me point out a little distinction here. What do I mean by, you know, affirmation or affirming someone? You know, most of us would think, well, surely you ought to appreciate. What? Aren't you talking about appreciation Well, affirmation and appreciation are close to each other. Sometimes they're even used as synonyms. But I do think they're a little different. And I think Paul is affirming them as well as appreciating them. Affirmation is this. It's when I say or show that you are important or valuable to me. Appreciation is when you say or show that I value you for what you do. You see the difference? I know it's a subtle difference, and I think Paul mentions both of these. 
in, this, in these passages. But affirming someone is saying, you know what? I just love you for who you are. I just, you know, when I'm around you, you know, you are just so special to me. I know you've done many things in life, but I just enjoy your company. I just enjoy who you are and what God is doing in your life. And that's what Paul is really hitting at here, is he's affirming them because they are partakers of the common grace. They are partners with him. And it is what they do, but it's really who they are. So let's get practical. All of us enjoy having joy within our relationships. But I want to ask you a really dumb question. How many of us like to be criticized? Does that kind of kill the relationship pretty fast? Unless the criticism is constructive criticism. One of the things that is a value here at Village Church is we do constructive criticism. We do evaluation of everything. And we do that to make it better. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about constructive criticism where you're looking at something or someone and saying, you know what, you could do better than that. And here's how. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I really struggle with people who's, who want to point out all the faults in my life, but they don't want to give me any help. They don't want to say, you know, you, you said this. If you'd have said it this way, that would have probably landed a little softer rather than, you know, that was really stupid. You know, and it probably was. But the idea of constructive criticism is, is important. I'm not talking about that. The other piece is, you know, when you... We often think that we, because of Christians, we cannot point out sin. We cannot point out the, the, uh, the fault in this world. And now I'm not talking about that either. What I'm talking about is that personal attack when someone says to you, you aren't a good person. No one likes that. That kills the joy pretty fast. We all love to be affirmed. We all love to be appreciated. We all love, even in hard conversations, when someone comes to us and puts her arm around us and says, you know what? You surely didn't mean to do what you just did. You surely didn't mean to say that. We all enjoy that. We all appreciate that. And we all feel affirmed when someone that we love and respect does that for us. And that's what I'm talking about. You know, affirmation is more about character than it is about doing. But affirmation often, often comes across in verbal conversations. But it can come across, we can be affirmed by other means. Most of us know about the five love languages. Sometimes you affirm someone by just hanging out with them, by giving them a small gift, by showing them that, you know, that they're important. You know, I had a guy yesterday who just came over, a good friend of mine. He just came over and just said, here, you know, I know we were talking about this. I wanted to bring this over for you. You know, that, that affirms our friendship. That affirms our relationship. Here's the sad part. We all know how to affirm each other deep down. I think we know how to do it, but often we don't. And I understand that we don't do that for those that might be a problem for us. I understand that. But here's, here's my struggle, personal struggle. I'm talking about me personally. Personally, I know how to, to affirm and to appreciate 
those that I love, those that I like, those that I enjoy spending time with, but often sometimes I don't. You know, I know I've seen fathers who can love and appreciate their kids, and they don't do that for their wife. I've also seen, also seen the, the opposite is true. I've seen men and women that can affirm and appreciate other workers at, at their job, and they come home and they can't say a kind word to anyone in that house. You know, and the same is true in the church. You know, often there are churches and church members that they are the most loving and affirming people away from the church building. And when they come in, something comes over them. Someone comes over them, if you know what I mean. And they are the most begrudging, fussy, complaining people. You know, what is wrong with us as followers of Christ? And you thought I was talking about you. I'm talking about me. There's sometimes I do that. You know, and I'm sure you're like me too. It's like, you know, I, I feel like the Apostle Paul. What, what is wrong with me? The, things, the very thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I should do, I don't do. What is wrong with me? I can be better than this. Let me give you a simple homework assignment. Today, when you go home at your mealtime or, or this evening when you pray with your family, with your spouse, try affirming them in your prayer. You know, don't... You know, I, I know that we thank God and we, we, we praise God and we give thanks to God. But how about in your prayer, affirming them in your prayer for who they are and what God's doing in their life? Why not try that? All right, let me move on to the second ingredient. The second ingredient for experiencing joy in our relationships is the placement of confidence. Paul says this in verse 6, I am sure of this. This, this is a no-brainer. This is an absolute truth, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul's confidence is in the Philippian church. He is confident, and there is to some degree that we have a confidence in each other. And that confidence grows when we see people doing the consistent same good thing over and over, living out their life for Christ over and over and over. We gain confidence. We gain trust in them. But that's really, Paul, Paul is really going a little deeper than that. His confidence is in God who is doing the work in them, not in them allowing God to do the work in them, even though that is true. It's God who began the work in them. It's God who is going to work through them and continue to make them a blessing to the others. Where and on whom we place our confidence determines how much joy we can have in our relationships. Now, most of you know that your pastors are imperfect people. We say that regularly here, that we're a church of broken, broken people who are sinners, we are all broken people with sinners. And if we place 100% of our confidence in each other, guess what? We will be disappointed. There will be times that we will disappoint you. Your pastors will disappoint you. Your elders will disappoint you. Your deacons. I could go right down the list. We will disappoint each other. Sometimes because of sin and sometimes because we just didn't know. You know, it's strange that often... You know, we hear this, that people go through hard times in their life, and we don't know what they're going through because they don't tell us, you know? 
So there's times that we let you down because we just don't know. And there's other times that, that we should be there for you. We should be praying for you. We should be visiting you. We should be, you know, there at, at your difficult time. And for a multitude of different reasons, we can't be. You know, the old saying is you can't be in two places at once. And it doesn't mean that we don't want to, but we will disappoint you. So our confidence can't be in ourselves. It also cannot be in our church. You know, I've seen churches, I was actually on staff at a church that when I was there, they were celebrating their 165-year anniversary as a church. Now, that's that's a long time of being in ministry with the gospel. And they were celebrating that they had been a church for 165 years. I know this is going to sound critical. But I was always, and I am always concerned about this. You can celebrate your past, but what about your future? You've been here 165 years ministering. What are you going to do for the next 165 years? Because, you know, sometimes we think, as a church, we think, well, God's always going to pour out his blessing on us, so we'll, we're, we're going to just keep being a church, and we'll just go on and on and on. You know, that's not necessarily true. Churches die every day. Well, Every week. Maybe, maybe they're dying every Sunday, you know. But churches don't have any guarantee that they're going to be in business a year from now or two years from now or even next month. We cannot have our confidence in ourselves. We have to have our confidence in the God who is giving us life and the energy and the ability to go, grow, and overcome. So we can't place our trust and our confidence in the wrong person. We have to have our confidence in God. And when we do, it gives us a freedom. It gives us a joy within that relationship to know, you know what, I can, I can celebrate what God is doing in your life. I can celebrate where God is taking you. And I don't know if you do this or not. I think Paul was doing this when he was writing this book. He was thinking back, okay, here I am sitting in prison, but I remember the day when we were doing really great ministry together. And I am confident that even though I am not there with you in Philippi doing ministry, I am confident that you were doing the ministry. You are sharing the gospel. You are reaching people with the love of Christ. And that brings great joy within the relationship. The third ingredient, third ingredient to experience joy in your relationship is the presence of community. You know, there is more heartfelt language in these first few verses uh, than in almost any epistle that Paul wrote. He says, because I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you, he says. You know, these are emotional words that he's talking about. You know, the presence of community is something that not every church has. You know, when, when you have it in a church, you know it's there not when you're in the midst of it. Well, you should know it when you're in the midst of it, but it's usually when you go away and you start thinking about my friends at my church. You know, I believe as a Christian, your deepest friends ought to be within your church. Your deepest ones, your closest friends should be within your church. That's why we work very hard getting everyone in a community group so you get to know people more and at a deeper level. So community is important. We're not a gathering, we're a community. 
The presence of, of community, a true community, begins in your heart. You know, the story is told of an old man who wanted to go mining. So he bought an old shack up in the hills, up in the mountains of Colorado. And he went up in the mountains of Colorado. He was up there. His family were thinking, oh, he's some kook. So he was up there for years and years and years, all by himself. His family never visited him. He made a few friends in the near, uh, you know, surrounding area. And the old man died. And his family was notified about his death. So, you know, like most funerals, I don't know if you know this or not, but at most funerals, you know, all the people come swarming in to find out what, what the old man had. And so when they came to the old cabin, you know, they found an old rickety, you know, bed that was, you know, just barely able to sleep in, uh, you know, a simple table and chair and a little lantern and cook stove. There wasn't much there. And some of the family members gathered up the antiques that they thought would be worth something And they decided, well, there's nothing here of any value. We'll just, we'll pull out. So they drove, started driving down the little dirt road. And one of the old man's friends stopped him, stopped the car and said, hey, uh, I know that you were up at, you know, so-and-so's house. You know, yeah, yeah, we got what we, what we wanted. And he said, well, if there's anything left, could, could, would it be all right if I had, you know, whatever, you know, he and I were really close friends and I would just really like to have some stuff that, to remember him by. And they were like, yeah, whatever. You know, there's nothing of any value up there. And so you can have whatever's there. You can even have the old shack. So the old, you know, the old friend went up to the cabin, walked into the door, walked right over to the table, pushed the table to the side, pulled the chair out, lifted down, picked up the board, and underneath was his gold, the gold that the old man had been mining all these years. And he picked up the bag of gold and he went over to the window and looked out the window as the car, you know, carried the dust trail down the road. And he thought to himself, they should have got to know him a little bit better. They should have spent a little more time with him to know what he had been doing up here. And if they did, we would be sharing this treasure together. You know, if we as a church, if we only have a gathering on Sunday morning, if we only come together to sing songs, to, you know, to hear preaching, you know, to shake each other's hand, and we don't have anything beyond that in relationship outside of the Sunday morning. We're no better than that old man's family. I know that sounds harsh, but if we are not doing life together outside of these walls, we are just like that old man's family. We have no idea the value that each of us can bring to a relationship. All we're doing is we're doing church together, but we're not doing life together. You know, you think about Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples, those knuckleheads. You know, and he got to know them and they got to know him on the most intimate personal level. He was able to have great conversations with them. They learned to love each other and love their master. And it's because they were doing life together outside of church, not inside of church. When we come together, it's a celebration. It is a celebration. It should be a celebration. But the church is really the church at 12.30 on Sunday afternoon, not at 9.30 on Sunday afternoon. I believe the presence of community is also a byproduct 
of going through good times and bad times, positive and negative experiences. You know, I don't know about you, but I love celebrating great news and I love spending time with each other when things are going great. But what about when you go through hardship together? You know, Paul and these Philippians, they had gone through heartache together. Paul talks about how that they came to his defense. He's using legal terms there. Sounds like that he went before some judge and they came to his legal aid. When we go through hardships with each other, when we go through hard times together, it can either draw us closer or drive us further away. But if Christ is at the center, it should draw us closer together. You know, this church has got a history of hardship. And those that stuck with it and stayed with the church and made sure that they were going to drive their roots deep and they were going to get through this heartache together, they are deeper friends today than they were before that time. That is the way it should be in every relationship. What brings me great joy in my relationships is when I know that I have that friend there in that time of difficulty. That, that I have that person who's there when I'm going through difficulty or, or a trial or a heartache. And that happens when you invest in people regularly before those days. The Philippians also shared in the grace of God with Paul. You know, and that's where presence, you know, and let me be clear, I don't just skim over this. We should have friends and relationships outside of this church and with people who are not Christians. We should have deep friendships with people that are not Christians. I really believe that. But the, the beauty of sharing the grace of God together, having the common grace of salvation, should draw us into, the, into a closer, more, a deeper friendship, relationship with one another. And that's why I would say this. I don't believe your best friend should be someone who's lost. I don't believe that they can be or, or you know, theologically it's possible to have your best friend a non-Christian. Your best friends, your deepest friends should be fellow believers in Jesus. And it's because of what Paul said here, because they shared the grace of God together. All right, we're going to get really uncomfortable here. Are you ready for this? I'm going to, we're going to do a little exercise. We're actually going to do two little exercises. What we're going to do is we're going to take five seconds. You're going to take five seconds, and you're going to look around this room, and you're going to just take an observation of who is here today. Ready? Go. Look around and see who's here. And it's okay to turn around. All right, five seconds is up. Here's my question. When was the last time you said hello to them? When was the last time you spent more than a handshake or a hug in the lobby with that person? When was the last time that you actually went to that person's house, had coffee together, had a deep conversation together? When was the last time? There's a lot of people in this room. All right, now I'm going to make you even more uncomfortable. Look around this room in five seconds. See who is not here. If you're new, you can't do this because everybody's, everybody's here that's here. But you know, if you're, if, if you're a village churcher, you know who is not here. So look around and see who is not here. Five seconds. 
All right? You may know people that are not here today. You may know that you're looking around, well, you know, so-and-so is not here and -and so-and-so is not here. Maybe they'll come to the second service. Maybe they were at the Saturday night service. When was the last time you called them and said, you know what, I just missed you at church? You know? Maybe there's people here that you looked around and you said, you know, I know they're not here because, you know, they're drifting. They're, They're drifting in their faith. You know, they haven't been to church in a few weeks. I've not seen them in a month. How about calling them? How about a, friend, you know, a text or, or an email or a Twitter and say, hey, you know, probably not a Twitter because that's you know, something a little more personal than that. Not a Facebook message. You know, that probably won't work. But a phone call and say, hey, you know what? I've not seen you in church in a month. Are we just missing each other? Is everything okay? When is the last time you did that? Here's another thing. I, 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 I'm hesitant to tell you. All right, so I'm, we were at a church years ago. We walked into that church, and the very first Sunday we walked in, Renee, you'll know this story. We walked in, and after the service, this person came up and said, and it was an older couple, they came up and, and said, I, you guys new here? Yeah, we're new here. Well, how about let's go to lunch together right now today? We just want to get to know you. It was kind of spur of the moment. You know, we just want to get to know you a little better. They took us out to a nice restaurant. They paid. You know, that was nice. Back in those days, we were poor, you know, young married couple. When was the last time you did that for someone in this church? When was the last time you said, you know what? I know, I know there's a football game at 1230, you know, but we can go to a restaurant. And we can watch it together as we eat. When was the last time that you, what I'm talking about is doing life together outside of these walls. Why not try that? Once a month, you know what? We are going to have somebody over for dinner once a month that we don't regularly talk with. And I'm talking to myself too, by the way. All right, let's go to the fourth ingredient to experience joy, which is the principle of reciprocity. I shared this word with a friend, of my, a friend yesterday. He said, well, that's a, you know, that's a, $10,000 word. Reciprocity? It's more than what Hollywood calls pay it forward. Listen to what Paul says in verse 9. He says, it is my prayer. And then he, he it's, it's funny the way he says this. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, that it may grow more and more, it may multiply, it may get larger and larger. Paul is wanting them to do more than just pay it forward. You know, that's good in itself, but we have the greatest gift in the world. We have the gift that only Christians understand, which is the salvation message of Jesus. If you say that showing people is easy, showing love to people is easy, you probably haven't met everyone. Because it's hard. It's hard to show love to some people, right? And the pay it forward idea is you're just doing good for someone that, you know, you want them to do good to someone, for someone else. But reciprocity, and what Paul is talking about, is doing good for those who can't pay it either, you know, the next line down. Doing good and, and loving them and having a relationship with someone that in return, they may never, ever be able to pay you back. That's what Paul's talking about here. 
So where does this strength come from about loving and, and reciprocity? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from what, Paul, uh, what John was saying in 1 John 4. He said this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Now, that's pretty harsh words. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You know, as Christians, we say we love God. How deep does our love go for our fellow brother and sister in Christ? It's got to go deeper than just lip service, is what he's saying. One of my favorite radio preachers is Steve Brown. He's Steve Brown has got one of those great radio voices I just love to listen to. He said it this way. We can't love until we've first been loved. And we can only love to the degree, to the degree that we have experienced love. You know, here's, here's another way of putting it. For those who have been forgiven much will forgive much. For those who have loved, been loved much will love much. If you feel that you've only been loved a little, you can't pay forward. You cannot give away what you don't possess. That's a simple economic principle. For those of us who have experienced the love of Christ, it is the greatest commodity that never runs out. We are the ones that should be giving it away and giving it away and giving it away for others. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the love of Christ. Maybe you don't know anything. You know, this is all sound like psycho babble. You know, just good, feel good, do good, you know, have friendships. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is coming to the point where you trust Christ as the one who forgave your sins and then living that relationship out in joy for others. Some people are hard to to love, but John said it this way in 1 John 3, that we know that we have passed out of Spiritual death, because he's talking about spiritual death and spiritual life here. So we know that we have passed out of spiritual death into life or spiritual life because we love the brothers or the brothers and sisters in Christ. Whoever does not love abides still in spiritual death. These are some pretty hard words. They really are. Basically, what I'm saying is think about how much God has forgiven you and how much God loves you. And the principle of reciprocity is to share that, to pass that on to those who can't experience or hasn't experienced it yet. You know, some of us here in this room, we do these four principles regularly and often. And it, it is almost natural with some of you. I wish it was natural with me. But here's the good news. We could all get better at these four principles and not just be a better Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being a joy-filled Christian because when we live these principles out, it brings us joy within those relationships that we have, that we share, that we're building into. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are the God who pours out his love on us in an amazing way. And while we were your enemies, while we were sinners, you still loved us so much that you sent your only son. 
And Father, all you ask of us is to embrace the wonderful Savior with joy and with thanksgiving and in turn multiply that message to those who don't know. Father, I pray that you'll help us to learn to live joyfully within the relationships that we have and the ones that you want us to build into. In Jesus' name, amen.